All right, here we go. You're listening to the Revenue Real Hotline, one big-ass experiment about all things uncomfortable conversations and sales. There were a few first principles that I halfway remembered while designing the space, but really, anything goes. As your attorney, I'm obligated to remind you that anything does not, in fact, go, nor are you a practicing mental health professional. Probably should mention that. All opinions expressed therein are our own. Anyone following said opinions has questionable judgment at best, and this podcast is in no way intended to treat, cure, or care for any general maladies, global pandemics, pandemoniums, or the like. This podcast will very likely include ideas that are controversial, and as such, depending on where you sit and what your position is, may be slightly triggering. Before we get started, I'd like to give a big shout out to our sponsors, without which none of this would be possible. Just kidding. Seriously, call me. Playing games with human beings lives here, Amy, and also generating an inordinate amount of paperwork for the legal department. Nobody ever listened to legal. I don't understand. They're like the one department you should listen to. Disclaimer. God, we're going to have, we need a disclaimer alarm. Karen! Business requires risk, Pete, and so we're, we're just going to figure it out. Uh, that seems like a totally legitimate plan to me. I'm your host, Amy Rahovchek, and welcome to my experience. Okay, let's talk about Jeff Bajork. Like, wait, what do you say about the person that needs absolutely no introduction? And if Jeff Bajork is not yet on your radi- or radar listeners, you are in for a treat. Although, like, I, I would be shocked if. <laughs> However, crazier things have happened. Jeff and I first met because I ran a search on Sales Hacker for the word multi threading. And I only found one person talking about it. Unbeknownst to either one of us, a friendship was about to form. One of the best things about jeffbajork.com and his work is that I've never seen anything that's not accurate. Everything that this man produces is spot on. And so, you know, Jeff Bajork is just like the gift that keeps on giving. And today we are talking about discovery. We talk about vulnerability. We talk about trust. We talk about discomfort. We talk about the differences between the discovery efforts of an SDR and the discovery efforts of an AE. We talk about the handoff. We talk about BANT. We talk about Jeffrey Gidmer's power questions. We talk about our own past experiences. We talk about the buyers and how to keep the buyers at at the forefront of our minds. And it's packaged in a way that is highly, highly, highly actionable. So sit back, get comfortable, grab a notebook, for goodness sakes, grab a notebook, grab a notebook, and set aside what we what you think that you know about discovery, what you've been taught about discovery, even some of the experiences that you've had in discovery that brought you results. 
And with that, Jeff Bajork. Well, Jeff, welcome to the Revenue Reel. I know that I, for one, am exceptionally excited to have you here today, and I appreciate you making the time for us. Well, thanks for having me. Thanks for asking. So I, I noticed that you've been doing a lot of writing about, and posting about discovery. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I'm just curious, how or why is this such an important topic for you right now? Because enough people, or I should say, because there aren't enough people who are curious. I think that it's a major disconnect between top performers and everybody else. I think that as I've really paid close attention to top performers over the past couple of years and, and really kind of focusing my business on what makes someone really great, patience and willingness to spend more time in discovery and ask, ask better questions in discovery. Most salespeople, and we get this from a lot of a lot of different directions. It's the tech companies who are looking to scale as quickly as possible. It's the you got to triple, then you got to triple, then you got to double, then you got to double. And it's like, well, hold on a second. You're in the early stages of your startup. You don't even know quite what it is that you do yet. Yet you're encouraged to triple it, then triple it, then double it, then double it. And if I'm doing math here, that is close to 40x over four years. Right? Come on there's, you're taking a lot of things for granted there. I'm going to sidestep. I don't, I don't want to digress. Uh, or I'd like to digress. Now. I don't want to go too far sideways with this. No, but please, by all means do digress. <laughs> <laughs> the, the hurry that people are in and the idea that you can replicate everything ad infinitum. If you just say the right things to the right people at the right times, and we can control the things that we say, and we can control the timing we say to them. It's really just all about focusing on that one archetype, avatar, whatever word you want to use. I think that dilutes what we do as salespeople. And I think the magic of what we do as salespeople is in the connection between the buyer and the seller. That buyer and seller interaction is cheapened by being in a hurry. It is cheapened by staying on the surface. It is cheaper on, or is cheapened by insisting that if you well, insisting on the questions that you ask to lead a prospect to a desired end result. That is your desired end result, not necessarily theirs. I think a lot of people bargain with themselves and say, well, uh, but it's really, it's, it's in their best interest. Therefore I must do this. I just, I think it takes away the magic of what we do. And I think that's why one, a lot of salespeople aren't very good at what they do because they're trying to be good at the wrong things. Two, they're not as successful as they could be um, because of that. And three, when they are successful, they're rather unfulfilled and that hurts my feelings. So yeah, I think discovery is, it's, it's where it's the biggest gap that people can, um, can cross. Oh my gosh, there's so many things that you said in there that I, I want to <laughs> dig into, but just starting from the back and, you know, drawing from my personal experience about being unfulfilled, how do you think that discovery can help a um, top performer experience more joy or fulfillment in the work that they're doing? Well, First, it starts with understanding your why. It starts with understanding what fulfills you, right? And then it comes into, you know, when, when you understand what makes you tick, you can find a way for the product, the service, the solution that you sell to check that box for you, right? Are you really making a difference in a way that it's important to you to make that difference? And then when you have that alignment 
and that connection between what you're trying to accomplish and what the solution that you sell is accomplishing. Now it's really about helping people. And it, the, the product itself doesn't have to be sexy. Like, look, I, I worked for a company that processed donated human tissue for transplantation and orthopedic <laughs> procedures, right? Like, wow. and, and, and those, those organizations, the company I used to work for, and even my competitors we did really, really good work in the community to give people what they needed that would not just enhance their lives, but did so with such tremendous respect for the people who gave their lives to donate. Okay. Like that's not mince words here, but was that a particularly, uh, was that a product I was particularly passionate about? No, it was a great way for me to do good for the donors, for the organizations, for the patients in with a, a technology that was worth talking about. And that was fun. I had a great time doing that until it just no longer was a good fit for me. Mm -hmm. So let's think about what we're trying to do, who we're trying to help, and if we can help them in a significant way. Mm -hmm. And now you get fulfillment out of that. And you get fulfillment not only of closing the deal, cashing a commission check, but of making a difference with the person you're really trying to help. And when you're really trying to help someone, what is more fulfilling than a real connection with them? And I'm not saying you got to go on vacation with the people when you're done, right? Like this is, we're not looking for friends for life here, but you're looking to fulfill someone by helping them on their quest to take that next step, whatever that is. I think connection is a big part of that. At least it always has been for me. And I know I'm not alone. And I know that there are people out there who don't respond that way. That's okay. Maybe this isn't the episode you want to listen to. So I'm going to push back a little bit on that because, you know, again, maybe this is drawing too heavily from my experience personally, which is always a risk. But for me, like when I think about what makes me tick, it's the continuous improvement. It is constantly learning. And, and I think that there's something here when it comes to discovery and leveling up your ability to interact with your own interpretations of, of discomfort or uncomfortable conversations. However, that said, when selling it, my final year carrying a bag, Jeff, if you recall, like I hit my annual quota in February. And so there was no, I didn't experience as much challenge or opportunity, I guess, to continue to level up at the, at the pace that I um, had grown accustomed to. And, and what would you say to that? So uh, help me understand that a little bit. You, you hit your numbers so quickly that you didn't think you could improve at that rate anymore. Yeah. Like I, I didn't see, well, like the aha moment for me was when I would, I had a big meeting with a, a, a partnership committee down in the financial district. And I was living on the Upper West Side. So the meeting was at 10, which means this is a 45 minute cab ride. And I was putting the deck together in, I know you have opinions about using decks all the time, which I, which I love by the way, because I think there's so much wisdom in that. So we can come back to that. But I was putting the deck together in the cab on the ride down. And as I was doing, and mind you, the meeting was exceptional, right? So nailed it. But at mm -hmm. the same time, I felt very unfulfilled in how easy it was, I guess you could say. So it wasn't a challenge for you so right. much anymore. It wasn't that there wasn't potential there to make money, to set records, to you know do something fun with the money that you were making. It was, okay, this is no longer inspiring to me. So I don't think that flies really in the face of what I'm talking about, because okay. if you lose touch with, if you're no longer fulfilled by what you sell, go sell something else. Like 
Maybe that is no longer a good fit for you. Maybe you've graduated from whatever it is that that job, that position, that um, situation needs to teach you. And maybe you need to go sell something else in the same industry that's more expensive. Maybe you need to go sell something else in this industry, same industry that's less expensive because there are a lot, just because it's not as, as expensive doesn't mean it's any easier, okay? Well, yeah, that's uh, true. Maybe you need to go pioneer another industry. Maybe you need to go start something on your own. Maybe you need to start a podcast and talk to people about the tough conversations they have with themselves and with their clients and their colleagues. Mm -hmm. Maybe you need to do something else, right? Like I felt unstimulated and I also felt like I was powerless to create the, the results that my company was giving or, or was asking me from because they weren't giving me what I felt I needed. And that was really kind of a rock and a hard place kind of thing. And as soon as I released myself from that, it's a whole new world, right? And now I'm fulfilled every day by stuff that doesn't even make money, <laughs> Right. So like when you've got alignment, it's really, really helpful. But I don't think that um, I don't know when you when you said that you were going to push back. I don't think that that's really pushing back. I think what this comes down to is if you don't have alignment, then maybe you need to find some place where you do have it. Yeah, that's a tough that's a tough conversation to have with yourself. Yeah. Yeah. And you know what? It took me. It's one of the reasons why I'm so passionate right now about helping to establish adjacent career paths. Hmm for sellers that are not interested in sales management um, in particular, because mm -hmm. generally that tends to be the only option. And, you know, I, again, I, I know how, I don't want to say rocky, but there were a lot of hard conversations with, with myself to kind of pivot and figure out that, you know, enablement and, and teaching and coaching sellers was, was what I wanted to do next from a, a, a learning perspective, not management. Uh, that's management of, of sellers, not leading sales enablers, different thing. Mm -hmm. Okay. Sure. So that I, something else I, I, that you said was interesting was that great discovery is one of the differentiators or the di big disconnects, I guess you could say between top performers and, and the rest. And I couldn't agree more. However, it's such a unspoken about like fact of life, I guess, when it comes to selling, like, but it, it also is so obvious sometimes to me and, and I'm, I have personal stories there, but I'm, I would rather hear from you. Like, why do you think that there's such a disconnect between great discovery um, and top performers versus those that are, are not there yet? Well, wow. Several different ways several different reasons. One, what is tolerated becomes encouraged. And we kind of hypnotize ourselves into believing that 15 minutes is enough because we are trained, specifically trained, to ask our prospects for just a quick 10 or 15 minute discovery call. Right. And then all of a sudden we try to cram it into 10 or 15 minutes. And then it is the idea that again, with all of this wonderful technology, we can take every variable out of the sequence and adjust for every variable. Well, if they say this, then yes. If they say this, then no. If they say this, then whatever. And now it's just a matter of which sequence you fall into. So we really only need the bare minimum of, we only need the bare minimum of discovery in order to give them the impression of human involvement in this process. And then the prospect is just another number. So let's put them, let's send them on their way. 
the other th- the other stuff outside of the environmental factors that that uh, come into this is the human nature factor of this. It is very difficult to have vulnerable conversations with people you don't know. But you wow, need yeah. to be willing to be vulnerable if you were going to give them the space to be vulnerable. And when you are asking someone to make a change, particularly the size and scope of the changes you're asking them to make, there is kind of this implicit admission that what they're doing is not the best way to do it, which means that you have to get someone you don't know to admit that they're doing it wrong in some various form or amplitude of, of wrong, right? Like you're not doing things the way that you should be doing them or could be doing them to produce the best results. So we should talk about that. Wait, who the hell are you? <laughs> Okay, so you have to be willing to be vulnerable with people that you don't know well in order to create the environment, the context, and the the level of safety and comfort that you need to create in order for someone to make a change, particularly an expensive one. But it's all about bigger, faster, stronger, quicker, better, more, scale, 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 scale. Hold on a second. This is a human being on the other side of this conversation. I, I, I go back to that. Because when I was selling orthopedic implants, there was an understanding that the most important person in the room was not me, the seller. It was not the surgeon. It was not the support staff, the the nurses, the techs, the physician uh, assistants. It was the patient. The patient who was unspoken was always the most important person in the room. Mm -hmm. And I think we lose sight of that because we're it's all about the multiples and it's all about the quarterly reports and the dividends and the, the shareholders and earnings per share and all these other things. We're forgetting about the customer. You can't do that. It's a cardinal rule you can't violate. And if you violate it, even in little pieces that you start to erode at the, the trust and the bond built between customer and, and company, and it is not sustainable. <sighs> I love speaking with you. Um <laughs> It's so refreshing. You know, it's interesting because I think there's a couple of like, to use a, 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 a cheese, not maybe cheesy, but like revolution. There are a couple of revolutions at play right now. And I, I think the employee revolution is one of them as well as um, the customer. And, but at their heart, I think they're very connected in that, you know, it's just a remembering that we're, we're humans and that human mm-hmm. connection is, is a big piece of it. And I love what you said about being willing to come into these discovery conversations with, with vulnerability and not just be vulnerable, but be vulnerable first. Yes. And there's a, there's a fine line to that. And I, but I, I kind of want to come back to that because I'm very interested in your take about the duplicity between or, or maybe I guess the, the correlate, uh, I don't know, but what do you think about how SDRs are tasked with, you know, having conversations to open up leads or, or whatever, again, in the, in a discovery context. And, you know, I'm, I'm, I, I'm chuckling, remembering your, your digs on Bant <laughs> during one of the things that you wrote about recently, but um, so there's that. And then there's, of course, you know, what, what we would consider like an AE's role in the discovery process. And, and for me, as somebody that's looking at the process and, and connecting it with the buyer experience, like I, there, I see red when we ask the buyer to have duplicitous conversations with individuals from our own organization, because it's, right. it's just ridiculous. However, I think that the, the, 
I guess, shallow nature of these conversations that we're teaching and training people to have is almost a trickle down from, from the SDR model. But I mean, what do you, what do you think? (laughs) I think an SDR does different discovery than an AE does. My feelings about SDRs and AEs are strong. There's clearly a reason why they work, but I think we have to be very, very clear about whether or not the SDR is the right tool to fix, is the right tool for, tool for the job to fix the problem that a lot of companies have. And in many cases, it's not. Just because mm-hmm. it's sexy and talked about doesn't mean it's the right one. And everybody's another, doing it. Let's not another, forget about yeah, that one. Another, another conversation, another conversation. But discovery has more than one phase. Discovery has uh, a lot of purposes. But in the assembly line treatment of the sales process, interchangeable parts, interchangeable stages, uh, you lose some nuance, you lose some magic in the sales process. It doesn't matter. And, and some of that magic is it's okay to lose, right? I mean, some people over-romanticize selling like I do, and that's not for everybody. So that's, that's okay. The SDR has to do some qualification. You have to earn the credibility to ask some of those questions, right? Like the classic, what keeps you up at night question is a classic example of a question that you, in many cases, have not earned the right to ask if you just meet someone for the first time. Mm -hmm. So now you've got, and I love that you said this duplicitous nature of discovery because the SDR can only take it so far, but the AE needs some of their own context on that initial discovery in order to take it further. There are ways, classy ways to do that to where it doesn't feel like you're just answering the same questions over and over. But I think- it, it does create another problem. And what we're asking someone in a traditionally, or maybe not even traditionally, but very often an entry level role is very high level work. I don't think it's fair to the SDR. I don't think it's fair to the SDR. And if it's not handled really, really well, which is tough to do, um, it becomes unfair to the, to the customer, the prospect as well. So discovery is one of those things where early on the SDR needs to qualify whether or not the prospect has the right problems and where the AE has to really dig into what those problems are so they can create the necessary context for uh, the solution to land. And it's difficult to have two different people handling two different segments of that that, uh, conversation with any kind of overlap because Amy, you and I, as talented as we are, as experienced as we are, as successful as we've been, our styles may not mesh. Mm-mm. But because someone decided to hire you for the open role, we're now supposed to work together and just hand things off se- uh, 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 seamlessly. Like, hold on. A second. <laughs> well, like, we, yeah, and add on top of that, that we haven't established a seamless handoff process. So, like, there's there's a million things, and, and it's all. I mean, the, the friction is, is, is felt internally more often than not, but also it's the client or the customer to your original point um, that really carries the big brunt. But I love the way that you frame that, that the SCR has to confirm that the, the buyer has the right problems. Wow, what an exceptional way to think about that. I've never heard it phrased in such a way. It's Neither have I. I that, was, that was just stream of consciousness right there. That's that's where it came from. That was exceptional, <laughs> exceptional, exceptional. Okay, so I, you know, you know how I feel about um, where the onus of responsibility lies on on teaching and training the team, especially when you're new. 
And we don't see a lot of that. And I think mm -hmm. that, yes, the, the incessant chasing after unicorn status is a part of the problem, but I think there's an awareness issue. At least it, it's something that I've observed at, at the leadership level on what great discovery is or should be, particularly that there's multiple phases to it, which we're definitely going to go back into, which is something that you said. But I mean, how, when you work with sales leaders, how do you help them to come to that like truth, that aha moment, that the way that they are thinking about or have read about or experienced discovery, having come up through this like tech traditional path up is wrong? How, like, how do you do that? Well, I'm going to tell you. We're not wrong. Maybe wrong is the wrong word, but no, it's, it's, it's a good word. I be, think it's okay. Good. Yeah, wrong. No, I, I think some kind of, sometimes it is wrong, but I'm going to tie this to something that you wanted me to come back to earlier as well. I have to figure out if it's wrong because maybe it's not clearly it works. So people wouldn't do it that way. I just don't think it works as often as people assume. Okay, but someone's clearly doing it right, because if it's being replicated, then there are reasons for that. And it's gone too long now with reasonable success for us to be able to really argue that. We can argue if it's the best way, but we can't tell you. We, we, it's not fair for us to say that it isn't a good way, at least some of the time. So the first thing I do is I'm going to try to determine whether or not it is the wrong model, which means that in my discovery process, I have to be curious. And the thing about being curious, the thing about curiosity is you cannot be truly curious if you are not willing to be wrong. That's the vulnerability part. So... I'm going to find out if it's really the wrong way to do it. And I'm going to ask those questions and I'm going to ask them if they're getting the results that they expected to be getting. I'm going to ask them how their hands off, handoffs and, and transitions are going. I'm going to ask them how they put together people to be on teams with one another. I'm going to ask them if they're successful enough right now. Are they as successful as they believe that they could be? And I'm going to ask them what they're benchmarking against. And I'm going to ask them why they don't think it could be different. I'm going to ask them about the headaches that their, their uh, reps complain to them about. I'm going to ask them about what they think the right responses or, or uh, medications are for those headaches, so to speak, in, in that analogy. Um, I'm probably going to spend some time with the reps. And I'm going to see firsthand what those conversations look like. Because I know what a good sales call looks like. And when you're missing things and many SDRs, partially because they're undertrained, partially because they're grossly underexperienced in an entry-level positions, and partially because they, what they're asked to do is so difficult. Like the problem with the SDR model is from my understanding, at least the way I see it applied and in full disclosure, and with all due respect to, to Aaron Ross, and I've had multiple com conversations with Mary Lou Tyler, but with, with Aaron, I've not read the book and I've, and I've not spoken to him. But my understanding or of, of it, if this isn't where the SDR model came from, it's certainly how it's treated right now. It's if you're an account executive and you're not willing to do your own prospecting, we'll find someone to do it for you. Well, okay, who are you going to find to do the hardest part of selling? the people who are willing to do something, who don't know any better, who just assume that it's something that they need to do. And if I can do this, then I can move up. And they don't always get to move up. And there are so many other uh, roadblocks in the way. Like there's a fundamental flaw in that logic. You're not putting people best suited for the job in the job. You're finding people who are willing to do the job because and you're letting them and you're setting yeah. them up to fail like that. I think that's the, a, a foundational flaw and I'm confident enough 
in the work that Mr. Ross has done. I'll call him that until I meet him in person, that he has, um, that it was not based on that. It was de developed on, on a need and enabling people with the concepts that they could make this successful, right? So I'm not picking on anybody, but the application of that foundational principle, I think has gone awry. So I dig into that. And, you know, when you, when you look at what a typical sales call looks like, and anybody who's been selling as long as I have, as successfully as I have, can I identify where they're missing? You have the, you have the ground truth in front of you. Take those back to the, the executives and you say, well, they're not doing this. They're not doing this. They do this really, really well, but because they're so focused on that, they miss this opportunity, this opportunity, and that opportunity. And I haven't even spent time with your AE yet. So what do you think? And maybe, look, maybe the answer isn't, you got to work with me and I'll show you how to fix all this stuff. Maybe that's, maybe they're closer than they realize. And I just identify some problems for them um, and, and make a couple of simple suggestions on solutions. I don't feel like everybody's got a broken system. And the more companies I work with that are really, really successful, that have all kinds of broken systems inside them, the, the more it has become clear to me that you don't need to be running perfectly in order to be very successful. So let me be clear about that. But it's not hard to see flaws in any system. And the question really becomes how much are those flaws really costing the company? And are they costing enough that they require fixing? And is there, and then from my standpoint, it's like, okay, is it worth fixing now? And do you have the available money to fix it now? I love it. You know, it's such a great point. And first of all, those questions were like money questions. I, I would encourage everybody to go back and listen to that like at least three times, maybe even write them down because I, I couldn't write fast enough and I personally can't wait to go back. However, something that you said was really resonated and that is that are, are they successful enough? And I think it correlates with this idea of like the baseline, maybe win rate or success metrics per role. And I, I tend to think that we're underestimating what's possible more often than not. And in many ways, setting the team up for, for you know, I guess to, to lose or to not to fail, but to not win at least 50% of the time. Like that just seems silly and problematic to me. But I loved the follow-up question is why, why don't you think things can be better? And it's an exceptional, exceptional one. Okay, so I want to go back to something that you said at the beginning, which is that everybody's in such a big rush. And I think that that's a key piece to what's wrong, or I guess a, a room for a factor that's has a lot of room for improvement when it comes to how we teach and train about discovery. And I'm trying to think of a, a good question here. I, I mean, why do you think everybody's in such a rush to go through discovery? And But I guess I, I kind of know the answer, at least from well, my opinion, opinion. And I'm wondering if you have a different one. It's because we want to, we're looking at those immediate, um, those yep. immediate gains that it's the instant gratification, but also the expectation. Um, but at the same time, when, when we're outsourcing that, like as an AE, if you're not responsible for doing the hardest part of the job, which is opening up opportunities, then there's a, I, I think uh, some, there's more pressure on the opportunities that are yeah. on your plate right now and like moving them quickly. But, but that does a, such a tremendous disservice because your, your buyers can feel that. 
they can feel the surface level, they can feel that it's rushed, they can feel, do you have anything to add to that? Or as far as like the impacts of trying to rush through discovery or keep it surface level? Well, I think the source of everything is people rush through discovery because they want to get to the selling part and they don't realize that discovery is the selling part. Really? You think that that's like a, a thing? Yeah. Oh, a hundred percent. They, they don't realize that discovery is the selling part because they've been taught that they can just get through it. That it's a 15 minute meeting. Just ask them a few questions, see if they have the budget, see if they have the authority. Is this a decision maker? Are they ready for this? And is this time to do it right now? Right? Like let's, I, with all due respect to Bant, right? Those are things you need to know. But do you, it, but the fact is it's being taught as if it's a checklist that you can just answer for question. Thing, and yeah. it's like, well, hold on. Yeah. No, if just, would you just give yourself enough credit and enough leash to be able to learn those things creatively and, and to learn those things more effortlessly rather than making your customer feel like you're interrogating them? Like, come on, you can do better. So the, the, is this a relationship that we're opening or is this a transaction that we're trying to get through? And, it, and for transactional salespeople, it might exactly be what it is. And that's okay, but you have to know what you want. The problem is the disconnect with the people who say, no, I'm all B2B and long-term relationships and complex sales cycles. Okay, well then stop treating your prospects like transactions. Pretty, right. pretty straightforward. So people right. forget that the discovery part is the selling part. That if you good enough discovery and you earn the trust necessary, they'll ask you for next steps. Listen, sales don't close themselves. I want to be very clear about that. There has to be a nudge by the salesperson. The seller is the leader and your prospects are begging to be led. But with good discovery, you realize that you're not just discovering your prospect, they're discovering you. And you have mutual interest. And when you can go to the levels to, that you can get to, to where you can ask the questions and say, hey, look, what could, like, what have you, have you thought about what is possible if we actually do this thing? About what this enables in the future? And now all of a sudden you've got this buy in by both parties that you want to move forward. Those nudges are less significant and less frequent because you're both just, it's almost understated that you want to move forward, right? So if you do enough good work there, one, your close rate goes way up because not only do you have more investment on the prospects part earlier, but you have a better idea of whether or not this is going to be a good fit and how it's a good fit. Your close rate goes way up. And here's the thing that I think is, is underestimated. When you put someone through a transactional sales process or a trans, particularly a transactional discovery process, your prospect will treat it as a transactional sale. If you treat it much more, and I don't want to say relationship building because that's so tired, but when you get that mutual engagement, now you create rabid, loyal fans, which speaking of the snowball effects, starts rolling downhill. And now you have people not only willing to speak well on your behalf, but proactively telling their friends and proactively, or proactively rather, um, raving from the mountaintops about how great your service, your solution, whatever it is, is. And um, like, why would you not do a little bit of extra work to get, to generate that kind of momentum or hold on, this is something else we haven't talked about yet. And I don't want this to go totally sideways, but are you really in this job for a long time? Or are you trying to develop yourself into a professional? Is this just a stepping stone? Or are you really just off to something better as soon as a better thing comes along? Because look, and, and you don't have to be a career sales rep for the company that you're with right now. But like, 
are you thinking beyond your next paycheck? Are you thinking beyond your next bonus? Are you thinking beyond your next quarter? That's, I think, a mindset that a lot of people don't have and would be much better served um, if they took. So I'm with you. I romanticize this profession, <laughs> but not just from a, you know, theoretical standpoint. I, I believe that it's the greatest profession in mm-hmm. the world. And I, I, I don't, I don't want to say I can't relate, but if you're here, specifically in an AE level where you you're experiencing some of the more, I guess, fun aspects of the job and you still don't see it. Like, I just, I don't relate to that, but it's, it's a good point and something to think about that. Maybe I, I don't know. I don't know. Um, but I'm going to, I know I'm going to think about that one. Okay. So you said something about different phases of discovery and I want to go to that for a second. Like, what are these phases that you speak of, sir? Mm. Well, I think they depend on what you're trying to learn. Obviously, you want to learn to qualify. The SDRs need to know if they need to learn if the prospect has the kind of problems that the solution can address. Okay, so that's that's early discovery. Some of that can be ruled out really early. Some of that comes from proactively reaching out to people who look like your best customers, mm-hmm. right? And so you, you dig in and confirm things. I think the next level of discovery or, or another phase in discovery, things that you want to learn are, um, okay, if they have the problems, what do we know about the problems? And, and what exactly about those problems can we learn that will lead us to understanding their motives to solve those problems, right? And then there are uh, questions and, and things you want to learn around what they're trying to do, why they're trying to solve what, what they're, they're trying to solve, what they're hoping to accomplish. We do have questions that help us understand how urgent these things are, right? And then we have questions and levels that we can go to that really help us establish the long-term future, right? And, and I talk about, you know, three levels of questioning. There are the questions that you need to ask your prospects that you don't know if they know the answers to. And that seems to make sense. Like, that's just a good question. Like, why would you ask a question that you know they already know the answer to? Well, we've been trained to do that because you ask questions to paint prospects into corners that make them feel that the only way out is if they would just buy from you, right? And that just creates buyer's remorse. It doesn't really create happy, loyal customers. So let's ask them questions that make them stop, consider new information, think about it, and, and hopefully answer in terms of you. And, you know, Jeffrey Gittermer talked about those power questions in the Little Red Book of Selling. The book's 20 years old. That's a really strong framework, right? That's a starting point. Now that you've got them thinking, they're outside of their rote, you know, this is how I do my job. This is my pattern. This is my, uh, my routine. Now we have them outside of their box a little bit. Well, let's stay there. And so level two are the questions you ask that you cannot have scripted. Those power questions, you should have five or 10 of them ready to go. And, and you should be able to kind of pick which ones you want to ask even before that meeting. They don't need to be scripted so much as, um, and they don't need to feel scripted or go in a certain order as much as those are the things you want to make. Those are your starters. You're going to see where it's going to go from there. But then you have to be brave enough to ask those second level questions of questions that you don't know the answers to, but you want to because they're clarification. They're not qualification. They're clarification based on the answers you got to your first questions. You can't script these because you don't know how they're going to answer. 
And, and so like, are you willing to take the conversation outside of the structures of I've got 15 minutes to learn these, you know, the answers to these questions. This is where I think salespeople need to be braver. So can we step outside this pre scripted format and can we maybe learn something that gives us a little more context, a little more insight into what they're trying to do, how they're trying to do it and why. And then there's a third level on top of that. That is, I call questions that neither of you knows the answer to. And these I think are like forward looking questions. Like what does it make possible if we were to do this together and, and we were to, you know, uh, work on a project create these results, like what do you do then? Oh my gosh, what would happen to the industry if we did this? It could be what would happen to society if we did this. It could be what would happen to the economy if we did like wherever you want to go with it, right? But if you're not even considering those types of questions to be a possibility, you're never going to think to ask them. But those are the questions where long-term relationships are grown. That's where the seeds are planted. That's where those long-term relationships are grown. And there is so much credibility to be earned by asking a question that no one has ever thought they'd ever be asked by a sales rep. And the thing is, I think most people, and I haven't gotten an argument yet, which doesn't mean that there isn't an argument, but I haven't gotten an argument yet on this. I think a lot of people agree that those questions are really valuable, really powerful. What most people forget is that you can't get there in 15 minutes. Sometimes you need to do more than one discovery meeting. Sometimes you need to have more than two discovery meetings. What is your damn hurry? And then a long enough timeline, what's the extra week between meetings? Is that really going to slow down your process? Yeah, and and also if you're in a damn hurry, then get more fucking opportunities into your pipeline so that you feel. Oh, we can <laughs> create a we, we can drop f bombs. Okay, you know, like <laughs> yeah, oh yeah, we're, I'm I'm right. from New York, like we we mm-hmm. we curse here, but maybe I'll edit that out. Hopefully, maybe not. Who knows? But no, <laughs> like seriously, it. get more damn opportunities in your pipeline so that you're feeling less pressure. And I, I, don't, I think that something I want to add to that is this idea of establishing a, a mutual understanding of when to start the opportunity. It's like a, mm-hmm. a leveled up version of, of the timing as it relates to band. But you know, when you're able to paint an accurate p- picture, particularly with enterprise sales, of the total time it takes, what is involved in the discovery process and what some of the outputs are per phase of the sales process. And, and I, I used to envision um, one opportunity as being one project. And so the, a lot of the project management principles that come in with you know, visualizing the phases and um, talking about the communication plan. But anyway, I guess what I'm trying to say is that when you're able to have an executive articulate the criteria that needs to happen prior to starting an opportunity and then, you know, kind of walking away until those things line up. Like I, I had a tremendous amount of prospects that would come back proactively because the discovery period or process at the beginning was, was rich enough and engaging enough where they and motivating enough that when they did um, do the preliminary things that that needed to happen in order to have a successful motion, we were then able to to start from there. But yeah, that's like I guess level three on it. But you know, I want to add something else too. When when you were speaking, it made me think mm-hmm. when you, when you first mentioned phases, um, this idea of 
what are we discovering, right? What are we looking for? And I love the connection between the why, right? Helping the prospect to understand what their why is from a necessarily a pain point, but what's the potential when we eliminate or transcend the mental barriers that are keeping us in, in the, in the lane. Um, that can be very powerful. However, and back to remember our, our origin story with the multi-threading, I think that there's an aspect of discovery um, and particularly like outcomes or outputs to different phases that, you know, help to identify others inside the organization that are also experiencing said problem and also not just experiencing the problem, but are actively trying to solve it. Uh, maybe with varying degrees of success. And there's a tremendous amount of power that, that you as the seller can bring to the table when you help them to find the other mm -hmm. humans in their own organization that are working towards similar goals. And, you know, I, I, so I, I guess from, from my perspective, what I'm trying to say is that, you know, discovering names of individuals, discovering data, building up the trust factor in that point where you're able to receive usage reports, either for the technology that you're replacing or some like adjacent but relevant piece of tech that, that will provide insight into whatever the problem is at, at hand. And so you know, I guess it's not necessarily phases per se, but there are tremendously broader aspects of things that could be discovered and then interwoven it to produce like a really exceptional buying experience at that enterprise level. I mean, other than data and like other people, can you think of anything else that would, that you used or would discover for beyond the problem or like how the problem is being or the process, whatever. You know, it's, it's interesting. That's something I've never really sat down to codify. And I, I think for a couple of reasons. One, when I sold into hospitals and in, in selling what I sold for the length of time that I did, you, you know who the players are. Right. And, and yeah. so it's one of those things that you just, okay, well, if this doctor wants something, then I need to go to the hospital. I need to go to the staff who's going to order the product. I need to see what they're going to tell me. They're going to tell me it's too expensive and they already have something on the shelf. So, okay, that's great. Let me justify why I'm having this conversation. Yeah. And then who do I need to talk to? I need to talk to purchasing. Okay. So you go to another building and you talk to purchasing and you know, it's funny. I never thought about it this way, but what I did was very much an enterprise sale. Right. So it, it, it's, just because I did it in person and not through <laughs> Slack doesn't mean, you know, that it wasn't what it was. You weren't virtually selling, Jeff. <laughs> but, um, but, but aligning all those departments and getting everybody on board and saying, okay, here's what the rollout is. Like you learn who those characters are. So anybody who's been selling longer than six months knows who the people are. You know who the people are. But every situation is different. And so, again, I'm hesitant to give you a checklist or to, for that matter, to create one, because it's not a be all end all checklist. Every situation is different. There's going to be a, a VP over here as a director at this company. And, you know, particularly with financial services, what I've noticed is a lot of those companies make their frontline sales reps, they call them VPs. Okay. Well, they have a title and I'm not saying they didn't earn it, but a VP of, a VP of, uh, you know, the, the vice president of this territory of the Upper West Side, let's just say, in financial services is not the same as the vice president of sales for a construction manufacturing, you know, you know, a heavy equipment machinery uh, <laughs> manufacturing company, right? Like, so like you get into nuance like that, you just got to dig in and do the work 
And, and so my, yeah. my strategy to combat the absence of knowing all the things that we need to look for is to just keep digging until you find enough information that you have what you need. And those obstacles it, will yeah. present themselves. And if you're not in such a damn hurry all the time, it is amazing what you will allow yourself to discover. And I don't think you can do too much discovery. I think I there is either. a point where um, there is a point where you've done enough. But when you, like you said, when you go further than that, you're just learning about new opportunities. The, the amount of opportunities you uncover has to do uh, so much with the amount of discovery you're willing to do. That I, I can't believe I have to say that out loud, but like right. it's very, very clear. So keep asking questions and, you know, look, even when you have uh, solid relationships and solid customers, loyal customers, keep asking questions because you're going to learn things. I mean, think about it. You got someone who's onboarded and they're successful and they're doing great. Okay. What are they, what are they learning that they didn't learn before? Okay, great. What are they learning that they still right. need to learn? Okay. What are the problems they run into that they didn't even uh, forecast or, or foretell happening? Okay, great. That helps you position the brand new kickoff to your next client. Cause you can say, look, I'm going to tell you right now, we're going to get this up and running. It's going to feel really good. Three to six months in, you're going to hit a stumbling block. You're going to feel more confident in it because the onboarding is so early, but the depth of the technology is going to get in your way and you're going to run into this. I'm telling you that right now so that I can remind you later that I told you that right now. And then we'll get there and we'll, and it just, the overall experience becomes so much more rich. And what does that do? It positions you even further more as the expert they need to help them get to where they want to go. Cause you've been there before and they haven't. <sighs> I'm waiting for you to say the magic word, but I'll say it for you. This is like an essence of, of trust, right? When you're able to give them a, a solid understanding of what's to come every step along the way, because especially with, you know, executives, they, nobody likes to be surprised, especially with, with bad surprises. And as sellers, we've already have so much to contend with when it comes to just the, the natural uh, like psychological implications of buyer's remorse. And so anything that you can do to provide just context into that path is it, one, it, I don't want to use the word hacks trust because this is a, there's no hack to it. Mm -hmm. It's the, again, just the, the essence of trust. And I, I think that you're spot on uh, when you said about, you know, just positioning yourself, not not in a cheesy or surface level way, but just as the expert. Mm -hmm. Okay, so I do have a question here uh, for you and two actually really quickly, but not quickly. You could take as much damn time as you want, sir. <laughs> the but, listeners send these in? Yeah. These are listener questions? <laughs> it's so funny that you say this because that's where we're going with the podcast. Awesome. I'm setting up a Google voice afterwards and this is, this is absolutely <laughs> the direction, sir. Okay, so you've written that the key to getting comfortable with uncomfortable um, is, is practice or excuse me with the uncomfortable is practice and perspective, but mm -hmm. I didn't really get a sense of the actions behind either of those things. And so would you just talk more about that? Get, so the, again, getting comfortable with uncomfortable. You have to establish disciplines for yourself to do those things. So if you're not good at discovery, do more discovery, have more discovery sessions with more people. Different people too. Yeah. If you're not good at prospecting, do more prospecting. 
but there's the the practice of it. And then there's the perspective. So you have to look back and you have to look and you have to do the postmortem. You have to say what went well, what didn't go well. I learned to sell by drinking a lot of beer. Right. And it wasn't anything about the craft beer scene in Metro Detroit at the time. It had everything to do with the mentor that I had who would go on sales calls with me all day. And then at, you know, four o'clock or something like that, and we were getting ready to wrap up the day. An important part of the day was, hey, what happened? How did it go? What are you going to do better? What went well? What didn't go as well as it could have? What do you need? What's the next step? What are these? That's what good leadership looks like, right? And we did that over beer. We could have done it over coffee. Probably wouldn't have been as fun, but that's, that's, what, that's what we did. You have to be that for yourself unless you have someone to do it with you. There's no way around that. There's no way around that perspective that is necessary. It's very difficult to have any perspective if you don't have any experience though. So if you're brand new and you're hearing this, find a mentor and your company has some people who are willing to help you. And if your company doesn't have those people, you need to get rid of that company. Sorry. Um, I love it. On a, on a, you know, uh, on as appropriate a timeline as possible, right? I'm fully aware that it, it's tough for job seekers out there right now. You, you have to, you have to set disciplines for yourself to, to do it. I was having a, um, a conversation with um, someone earlier about my podcast and they said, well, how do you, I mean, you just sit down behind a microphone and you talk for eight to 10 minutes and you press send. And I said, well, yeah, but I couldn't always do that. You know, I create a ton of content on a weekly basis and I've finally gotten smart about that content and that it tends to be themed for the week so that I don't have to feel like I have multiple personalities for multiple channels, right? But, you know, look, because I've been sitting down for the last four years now doing something on an at least weekly basis, yeah, I'm, I'm way better at it than I used to be. Not only is the content better, but it's easier for me to come about. It's easier for me to, to, to do, you know, and I just kind of have little notes that I jot down to myself on this giant whiteboard next to me. I sit down, I'm like, I guess I'll talk about, yeah, that right now. And I press record. And then eight to 10 minutes later, you've got a, a Monday musing for the why and the buy. Or 10 to 12 minutes later, you've got, you know, an episode for the Deeper Thought podcast, you know, which, which I think is really some of my best work. But I have arrived at that best work. I didn't just manifest that to be my best work. I mean, there's, there's a, a practice that's involved in that. And you don't get better at anything unless you do it. You don't just wake up and get better. There's at least a mental process and then a physical discipline involved. Um, do period, the period, work period. Next paragraph. End of, end scene. <laughs> Oh my God. I love it. I love it. I love it. Okay. Like, uh, it's funny that you said that about the, the content theme per week, because that was actually like a, a side question I had here is that like, how do you come at these topics? Okay. But I know we're at time. So final question here in, in one piece of advice for our listeners about, mm. um, uncomfortable conversations, have them, have them. Excellent. If, if there's a question, if you're ever present, mindful in your conversation, not thinking three questions ahead, but mindful in your conversation, and there is that little bug in the back of your head that says, oh, I wonder about, ask it, ask it. Don't be afraid to fail because there is not a question you can ask with a pure intention that will get you buried. You can always back out. If you're insulting somebody or really saying or asking something totally inappropriate, then it's, it's, it's really, you have to do that on purpose, essentially. 
but with a good intention, it is very, very difficult. I'm not going to say it's impossible because I don't like speaking in absolutes, but it's very, very difficult. And if you're really concerned, then qualify it ahead of time and say, look, I, Amy, I don't know if I've earned the right to ask this question. So pardon me if I have crossed any lines that I shouldn't cross, but I'm really curious about what you said there. Is that a place that you're willing to go a little deeper for me? How, who How do you gets be mad, mad Nobody at you can be about mad about at that? that. Yeah. So, okay. Yeah. Worst case scenario, they say, I'm not comfortable. Jeff, I'm not comfortable with that. Oh. I'm sorry. I, I won't go there. It just, it was something you said that I thought might help me better understand your situation. I'll never go there again. Mm-hmm. Please continue. Yeah. Excellent. 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 All right. So that was awesome. And I know that you've got a new website coming out, which is exceptional. And I cannot wait. It's probably will be up and ready by the time that this airs, uh, which is, I'm assuming where you would direct people to and ask where can, where can they find you? Uh, You can find me at jeffbajorek.com. Okay. You can find the podcast at thewhyandthebuy.com and on okay. every platform that's out there. So for the, the new website is beautiful. The old one was beautiful, but the new website's just got, it's just, a, it's a fresher look. It's a newer platform and it was just thoughtfully designed. This is the first time ever. Like I was really proud of the website I had before, but this is the first time ever I had someone who really understands the way a website should work rather than just building something pretty with a website tool. So I'm very grateful to the people who helped me in the past, but this company that I, that I chose to work with this time has just really from the ground up designed a website in a way that makes sense for websites. So really excited to send people there. Um, it's so classy. It represents me really, really well. And uh, I'm very proud of it at jeffbajorek.com. Jeffbajorek.com. Okay, great. Thank you. And then I know that you have some big things coming with deeper thoughts. Yeah. Deeper Thought was this podcast that I started. It, it ended up as a happy accident, I guess, is, is the right way to put it, because I'm building this community at RethinkTheWayYouSell.com, and, and it's a free community with some premium offerings. And I'm trying to think of ways that I could really make this annual subscription worthwhile. And, and one of the things that I thought of was, is I've created some exclusive content, and I've got other people helping in, in creating exclusive content behind that, that site. And we offer sales training three times a month, live in groups, and, and as well as um, some weekly, you know, my live streams become weekly lessons in a course within that group as well. But um, one of the things that uh, was suggested to me was, Jeff, why don't you just do a podcast? Just a quick one, like bite-sized content. And as I started to put this podcast together, I was like, this is, this is really good on its own. It doesn't need, and, and I really feel like it's my best work and it, we have fun when we record it. It is unlike anything else you've ever heard. And you know, it's 99 bucks for the year. It, it, it's less than your Netflix subscription and it'll make you infinitely more dollars than your Netflix subscription will make you. So I encourage people to go find it. You can get free samples. Uh, you know, uh, we've, we've created the, the means to be able to do that. And it's, it's worth your time. And you know what, look, if you hate it, I'll give you your money back. It's not that big of a deal, but it's worth a try. Well, as someone that absorbs a lot of content and pursues learning at all levels and all things, I can confidently say the the content that you're producing um, on Jeff Bajork, on The Wine, The Buy, and now on Deeper Thoughts is just exceptional. And 
<laughs> I chuckle because I, you know, we hear people talk about differentiation all the time. Like uh, listeners, you spend five seconds with anything that Jeff touches, like you just, you can feel it. And, <laughs> and I know how much I've personally learned and appreciated um, having validated, but also even just a better understanding of the methodology behind things. So I, I would highly, highly encourage everyone listening to check out Jeff Bajork at jeffbajork.com and, you know, just figure out ways to incorporate his content into what you're doing, because there's no going wrong. There's no, I I've never seen one thing that would not essentially bring tremendous like impact to those that are, are willing to do the work to incorporate it. So thank you, sir, for thank doing you. what you do. Thank you for joining us today on the revenue reel. And I look forward to the time when our paths cross again. Thanks, Amy. Really appreciate it. And to our listeners, truth, love, and joy, friends, happy selling. Whew. Man, that was heavy. But necessary, you know, important, important stuff being thrown around. Virtues that we as humans can can build a sturdy foundation on. I heard words like trust. I heard words like action. I heard words like consistency. And uh, I think this is important, you know. But I, I also live in the real world, right, where I trust that the action Amy didn't take was to consistently feed the dog or file her legal disclaimer paperwork from all the unnecessary risks she takes on a weekly basis. Karen is going to be pissed. Karen! This podcast will very likely include ideas that are controversial and as such, depending on where you sit and what your position is, may be slightly triggering. Just a note for sponsors from Karen and Pete down in Legal. We are anxious to receive your call. And if you are looking to help or join the cause or create change in a positive way, please reach out to anyone but me because I have enough to do. And Amy will definitely be interested in taking your money to help more people, which is what we do here. You know, stuff legal stuff if you like what you're hearing or are excited for like this shit show and where it's gonna go definitely follow us on you know whatever podcast device is your preference even though i i seriously have a hard time identifying with anything non-spotify but you know i guess i'll i'll come to terms with that sure we're helping all these people but did you did you feed the dog did you did you remember to feed the dog is there going to be another Chinese food incident? Is there? Order the dog food, Amy. Order it. Chewy.com. Possible sponsor. I still can't believe people listen to shit I say. But, like, there, there's certainly a kernel of truth somewhere in there. But I truly, truly appreciate anyone brave enough to, you know, listen in early. I don't know shit about sales, but as I understand it, she's pretty good with buyers and sponsorship partners. At least that's what I've been told from Bernadette, Karen's sister in accounting. So if you're interested in supporting the cause, email Amy at Revenue Real. 
All right, friends. So the only way this works as a hotline is if we find some people to come play. Anybody who's interested or brave enough or desperate enough, because let's be serious, like that's that's where it's at. Everything you need to know is in the show notes. Come on. Yeah, call absolutely. Call in. Don't have enough to do? You want a couple of books to read? Amy can boss you around for a couple hours? Sounds like, yeah, please, by all means, call. Ruin a perfectly good Sunday. I understand that I should do a better job of paying attention to the law and like filing paperwork, but we're fucking creating art here, Pete. Karen! Sure, drawing attention to mistakes is great and also necessary, but at the same time, we're talking about a woman who attempted to soften a pedicure with a belt sander in high school to the demise of her own person. Belt sander to the foot. That was a thing. That happened. Pete, I can't believe you just told everybody about the belt sander. I, I mean, can't we work them into it a little bit? I already disclosed that, like, nobody's made more mistakes than me, and that's why I got... Uh, no problem going first, but that one, that I feel like that's at least for season two, a, a disclosure. Same thing with the Chinese food. And it was only one time, okay, it was the chicken and broccoli, just the chicken with the white sauce and some white rice. <laughs> you know, like, what, what, what do you want from me? <laughs> Lola. Do you even know where Lola is? Has she been fed? I'll feed her. It's fine. Lola! There she is. Hi, Lola. Do you want a treat? Has your mommy pet you today? There is no nice way for a woman to yell like, Karen! There's such a thing as gender coding, also known as the double bind. I don't know about you listeners, but I enjoy my podcast on Stitcher. Um, I mean, I don't have a premium account because I'm holding out for sponsorship. Hey, Stitcher, looking at you. Um, Also, I believe we mentioned Chewy, so there will be a link to them in the show notes, even though we are not sponsored by them. And I bought my dog food at Target this week um, because it was on sale and I saved on shipping. As somebody who just came to terms with her own privilege this summer, I am in no position to judge. However, it's fucking real. Privilege is a thing. Intersectionality is a thing. And for Jesus' sake, can we stop fucking killing black people and pay black women? Lola, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, baby. I love you. Here, take some pets. Come, Come sit up on my lap. So yeah, you find yourself sitting around with a couple minutes to spare. Go ahead and completely destroy your afternoon by accumulating somehow yet more work that you will not be paid for in any way, shape, or form. Yeah. Call the hotline. Call the hotline. Let's call the hotline. But, you know, I'm, I'm still here to uh, help in any way I can, which is, I mean, does anybody need some weed? I mean, not for purchase, just like, to, you know, we, sharing is caring. Yeah, be, see, that take, take that, there you go. That's helping. Sharing is caring. It's legal in New Jersey now. Didn't you get a card? Yeah, but that's, let's not bring my mental health into this yet. Yeah, that's a whole, that's a season four teaser. Peter, are you telling me that you actually, you have emotions? It's not just a female trait? Shut up, Amy. We're not talking about this. I'm not wearing my big girl pants today, so I can't. I don't think I'm ready to talk about this. Maybe we can hold off on that till 
episode three. Wait, you're not ready to talk about the fact that you are a human being, therefore have feelings, despite your gender? I'm clearly not a human being. I'm a man. I'm a man! (laughs) (laughs) That you are, and you're certainly a fucking ally. Everybody, take notes. Sponsors, uh, on a personal note, yeah. Amy may cause problems down here in legal, but she will be more than happy to take your money and use it for a good cause and help people who are help more people. So, uh, pay that bitch. For anybody interested in cool things discussed by way of principles or books, let's look for them in the show notes. The only way this works as a hotline is if we find some people to come play. Everything you need to know is in the show notes. Yeah. Call the hotline. Call the hotline. Let's call the hotline. By all means, if you find any value in things that we're talking about, do tell a friend. I consider that the highest honor. There's always the public review, although part of me thinks that I should not ask that until we're out of beta. Peaks and valleys. Peaks and valleys. Peaks and valleys. Man, yeah. I, you know, as annoying as it is, I have yet to figure out um, how to mind read, <laughs> not for lack of trying. So yeah, keep me posted. How now, brown cow? The arsonist has oddly shaped feet. The Human Torch was denied a bank loan. The very best way to reach me right now would be LinkedIn. So good luck spelling the last name. Oh man. So yeah. I hope we all learned something. I feel like I learned something. I feel like I should stop and look around and wash my hands and probably drink some water because, you know, Amy does have most of the answers, but did we feed the dog? So quick to tell some stories about the belt sander and feeding Lola Chinese food that one time. It was like that or nothing. Although, like, I would listen to you. Let's be serious. I bye, Pete. I bye. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. You've been listening to the Revenue Real podcast, one big ass experiment about all things uncomfortable conversations in sales. I'm your host, Amy Ravchek, and I hope you've enjoyed my conversational experience. That's a wrap. I can't. I can't. I can't. So. This is Pete, your disclaimer specialist, coming to you at the super secret disclaimer portion of the show. This is a pod about transparency and difficult conversations. With everyone being so open and honest, um, I must be. So here goes. I'm sorry. I apologize. You know, I, I misled you intentionally. I must confess that I am not a fucking attorney. <laughs> Um, I have not passed the bar exam in the state in which I live. I uh, have never represented anyone well in anything, let alone in a court of law. But again, these are difficult conversations that Amy's having with with her guests, and, and I lied. And I should tell you that. I should be open and honest because, you know, we have been. So we can all be better. We can all do better together. And... No, I'm just rambling at this point. It's just, who cares? It's an outro, right? Like, this is just going to fade into blackness. 
like the Mars rover. Maybe a little bit less sad. That was fucking sad. Oh, let's not be that sad. Come on, guys. We can do better.